Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Hello, my name is uh, Marcus Christmas Speller. And uh, it's Christmas Day. What a marvellous day. You're all opening your presents. You're all having a lovely time, I do hope. Um, But the presents don't stop there, ladies and gentlemen. When you've opened your last one and you think to yourself, is is that it? Well, no, it's not, because, my goodness, have we got a gift for you today, the ultimate Christmas present. You may have heard on the Football Ramble a number of months ago, Sven popping up, shall we say. (laughs) Sven popped up, as he does, and uh, we had a little chat with him. Well... Luke, Jim and I, not only did we have a little chat with him, we had a longer chat with Sven. We, we, we sat down with old Svenigans, uh, who, who joined us uh, via uh, a satellite link-up, and we, we spoke to him at length about uh, his managerial career. Uh, England, lovely little stories about managing Ivory Coast as well. And that is today's Christmas gift to you. From us to you, I am sat here fully erect. This is Ramble Meets Sven Joran Eriksson. Right, ladies and gentlemen, it is my esteemed pleasure to say (laughs) that uh, Jim, Luke and I are in the company of Sven Joran Eriksson. Sven, thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure. Sven, we just want to chat to you uh, a little bit about your your career and and you've had such longevity in the game. And of course, we remember you fondly as England manager, but you've done a lot more, of course, uh, elsewhere. Um, Did you always want to... You played a little bit of football, um, when you <laughs> yes. were, when you were younger, but it was, was 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 it being a manager? Was that the thing that you had your eye on mostly? No, when I was uh, young, say about round twenty, my dream was to be a professional football player outside Sweden. First of all, to play the highest division in Sweden, and then then playing for the Swedish national team. Mm-hmm. But I was not good enough. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a fact. I reached uh, second division, second level. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, okay, but no more than okay. Then uh, I started to think uh, one of my dreams in life uh, seems to be difficult to achieve. And one day I started to prepare myself to be a coach. I started mm-hmm. uh, going the courses. And one day Tord Grip uh, told me when I was 27, he said, Sven, I think it's better you finish playing and start uh, your career as a manager, coach. And I did so at 27, and that was a good decision. Mm. It's, it's good to have honest friends among <laughs> us, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a little bit rough saying it's better you stop playing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Especially at the age of 27. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyhow. <laughs> Are you someone who's always thought pretty deeply about the game because you had a you had a reputation here as a bit of a thinker and a bit of a a, a very intelligent man Is, have you always tried to think about the game in a quite a deep way 
Well, yes, I thought uh, a little bit about it, of course, as a player. <clears throat> and I was a defender, I was a right back. And if I met a quick winger, uh, the coach told me, go close. And then they played the ball in behind me and he, he was quicker than me and he won the ball. Yeah. And uh, then the coach said, uh, take distant, don't go too close. And I did so. And then they played to the feet of the winger. He turned up against me and put the ball behind me and beat me again. <laughs> I asked the coach, what do you want me to do? Yeah. I can't beat him. Sounds like my career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I said to the coach, I need help mm. in one against one situation. In another way, I will never take that guy mm. if I don't try to, to kick him. But uh, the coach said, no, we're playing man-man and you have to take care of him. And uh, impossible. Then yeah. I started to think, this, this can't be right. Because football is not only who is the quickest. It's good to be quick in football, but if you, if you have help and support, then mm. uh, you make life easier to defend. Mm. Sven, in, in uh, Sweden, obviously Roy Hodgson, <clears throat> like yourself, a former England manager, had uh, a time coaching in Sweden. Did did he influence your uh, coaching at all? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and not only Roy. The first one, uh, English guy who came, was uh, Bob Horton. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, and a year or two years later, Roy came. And they had the same philosophy. They played 4-4-2. They kicked the ball long. They uh, High pressure, playing offside and things like that. And that was completely new in Sweden. So for sure, Tord and myself and some other coaches in Sweden, we uh, took things from them to put into Swedish football. And it, it became very good. So with that in mind, did you sort of, uh, with the sort of influence of, of English um, coaches in, in, in Swedish football and Swedish coaching, did you feel a sort of affinity with the English game? Is that, is that part of why you took the decision to take the England job? Uh, no, not not uh, Roy and Bob, but mm. you know we in Sweden we are born up with uh, English football. Thirty, forty years ago, uh, Saturday afternoon, mm. it was parked in front of the television always, looking at uh, football from England. Mm -hmm. So my generation and maybe the generation after me, we know more about English football than we know about Swedish football. <laughs> Because the whole winter we saw English football and, of course, wintertime in Sweden, you don't play. Yeah. So if you take football guys from Sweden, they know everything. They know a lot of English football. How, how did you find the step up from playing, uh, sorry, from managing in Scandinavia to going to um, a club like Benfica? Because um, I know I know Gothenburg are a huge club in, in that part of the world, but Benfica are a European giant, aren't they? And and I wondered if if you if you encountered any nerves. Well, did win the UEFA Cup? Yeah, no, exactly. Which yeah. yeah, which is why which is why you went across there. Was it was it a, did it feel like a big step up, step up for you to go from managing in Sweden to managing in somewhere like Portugal and then on to Italy? Yes, I think a lot of people thought that uh, this Swedish guy with a very little experience he will never do it in a club like Benfica and mm. later Roma. Uh, and I, I was very nervous when I came to Benfica, a lot of history. They showed me the, the room of trophies and uh, that did make my confidence better. Yeah. That was huge. <laughs> so, 
So I was nervous, but I thought uh, I will do what I did in Gothenburg, and that's it. And if it's not good enough, they will send me home. But uh, <laughs> but uh, it worked, so good. Yeah, Sven, Sven, you were so close to winning the European Cup with Benfica, of course. It was only the great Milan side that, that beat you in the final. There's there's much talk in, in Benfica about this curse of Bella Gutman, which I'm sure you're aware of, the old uh, yes. Hungarian coach who said they'll never win another European trophy in the 60s or whenever he said it. Were, were you aware of that at the time? How did that play we on were, the We lines? were always aware of that, especially <laughs> when we went to semi-finals and finals. And, and I, during my time, we played the final in UEFA Cup and we lost against Anderlecht. We played final in uh, Champions League and we lost against Milan. And a lot of talking and a lot of writing in papers and television about that uh, Bella Gutmann. And I, I think it's, they're still talking about it. And I know that uh, people going and praying in the grave of Bella Gutmann and saying, please, please <laughs> help us, <laughs> yeah. which is amazing, <laughs> incredible. I, I, and and obviously you, you end up in England in, in 2001 after winning more trophies elsewhere in, in Italy. But um, you, you actually agreed to manage Blackburn Rovers before that, didn't you? But it didn't quite work out. Um, so you were, you were planning on coming to England anyway. Can you tell us a bit about what happened with Blackburn? Well, I signed a contract with Blackburn. And um, it was my... This is after I had Sampdoria. That's right. And uh, I had, uh, I wanted Mancini to go there, and Mancini said yes, and we were negotiating his salary with the, the owner, of course. And at the same time, Lazio came. The president of Lazio phoned me and said, Sven, uh, I know that you're on the way to England, but come to Lazio instead. We have a good team. I will give you money to buy some new players, and we want to win the league. So... Blackburn or Lazio, I, I thought. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, want say, to, I want to go to Rome. Yeah. But it's all, fair all, to say you made the right decisions, Fed. You won Serie A, <laughs> but, of course. But also at that time, the Italian football was the best in Europe, maybe yeah. the best in the world. Mm -hmm. It's not today, but at that time it was. Mm. So uh, I uh, finally, after a lot of discussions, uh, Blackburn said, okay, we understand you, Sven, and they were very, very, very good against me. They didn't <laughs> ask any, comp uh, what do you say? They didn't ask have any, any compensation, money. yeah. Compensation, yeah. 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 They, they just let me go. So, Sven, you have managed all over the world and you know, throughout your career you've, you've regularly been linked with some of the biggest jobs in the game. If you could kind of sub yourself in to manage one current team, be that a domestic or an international team, just, you know, just for a little while, just to enjoy yourself with the squads available, who, who would that be right now? Well... Since I was maybe 10 years old, I've been a Liverpool fan. So Liverpool, I always dreamt about to be coaching, managing. And of course, I would like to do it today. But of course, saying that, that's impossible. It's nothing I, I think about. <laughs> yeah. And the football, they, with the they, current coach, <laughs> I am extremely happy with the current coach. <laughs> and uh, the way they played football, the last uh, league, that was it. Impressive, mm -hmm. very, very, very good, and yeah. I think uh, he will go on playing that kind of football, and it will be difficult to to beat uh, to beat uh, Liverpool even in the future. Mm. 
Internationally, yeah. I had the, the biggest job you can have. I had England. That's the biggest job you can have as a, as a, as a manager. Maybe Brazil, but um, no, I, uh, I had it. I'm, I'm, I was very, very proud to have it. We didn't win any big titles, but... No, well, I think we can all agree seeing you manage Brazil would be an absolutely magnificent thing. But you did, as you've said, get a chance to manage England. In, you, know, you started, obviously, in 2001. Do you think you were prepared for what was going to happen when you took such a big job? Do you feel like you could possibly even have tried to prepare enough for what was coming? Or were you? did you go into it in a, in a kind of perhaps even a bit of a naive way, not really ex- knowing what to expect? I think football-wise, I was prepared because yeah. I had been in uh, in big clubs in Portugal and uh, different clubs in Italy. And Italy, as I said, the football, the best football was in in Italy at that time. I was not prepared. If you take the media, uh, mm. I didn't expect the media to be about football that was okay mm-hmm. if you didn't win they they tried to kill you but i was used to to italy that was the same there but i was not used to all the stories about my life outside football i was totally unprepared for that because mm-hmm. sweden portugal italy it never happened never ever and, and, and since then sven you released your autobiography in which you know you're very open and honest about you know, certain things that happened in your private life and off uh, off the field, which is obviously what the media were were, were often trying to dig up, trying to to get to. Um, I, I've I've got to ask, I suppose, why were you kind of so open and honest in your autobiography? Which is of course what the fans, us fans, want to to read about. What was the thinking behind that? Well, if you're going to write about your life, don't only write about uh, that game finished Mm -hmm. 2-1, we won it. Mm -hmm. Next game, we meet uh, another team and it was a draw and we played. People have already seen that, haven't Mm. they? We want to hear the good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Not the good stuff, but I think (laughs) if if I'm going to write a book, I will uh, write it my way because... Mm -hmm. The other part of my life uh, was written in newspapers and I never commented that when I was the coach manager. I never ever said anything about it. Mm-hmm. So, with, so I with, thought if I'm going to write a book, uh, I have to take that into the book as well. Was that part of the, the thinking behind being so candid, Sven, that you would, you would take ownership of, of kind of stories that had been written about you and, and an image of you that had been portrayed in the press? Well, in one way, what's in the book, uh, everybody knew about uh, names and things like that. But mm. uh, they probably, most of the people, they didn't know the true story about it. And I, I, I wrote my truth about it. Yeah. And, and st- sticking with uh, maybe moving back towards the kind of on the pitch stuff. I mean, you, you managed at England at a time where you had an incredible <clears throat> amount of really, really good players. And... Is there any particular part of your your time in England where you think, oh, we should have we should have done a bit better there, or, or I regret this or that because it was, you know, we had so many good players, we could have done a bit better, or do you think when it comes to a tournament, you need a bit of luck as well? Well, I don't think we were lucky in uh, 2002, mm. 2004 and two thousand and six in mm. Portugal and in uh, Germany. Mm. We were not lucky at all. Uh, I thought 
I still think, I thought it before the tournament, during the tournament, and still 2006, we should have done better. Mm. We should have reached the uh, final because I couldn't see any team better than we, and I can't still see any team who were better than us. Italy won it, but they didn't really play the extraordinary good football. I think we were as good as them. Mm. But we lost again in penalty shootouts. And what I regret is that I didn't take in a mental coach mm. for penalties. That's what I what I always regretted. And I should have done that. Um, Sven, one of the things that I think you're, you're quite well known for is is the, the, the personal development of, of players off the field as well as on the pitch. And as you say, that, um, you know, maybe taking a you thought you maybe should have taken a, a, a coach to mentally prepare players for penalties which I believe is something Gareth Southgate did but going back to the 2002 World Cup there's a there's a, a, a great story in, in David Beckham's autobiography when um, as you were advancing in the tournament uh, players were maybe feeling a little homesick and and um, you know it's obviously not easy being away uh, in a in a quite a intense environment for for a number of weeks and he said that uh, you and the coaching staff one evening uh, instead of having a regular dinner if you like got loads and loads of mcdonald's burgers and chips and, fr- <laughs> and, and all the rest of it for the players just to kind of give them a, something a bit happy something to, to to bring a bit of joy it, you know i found that quite an interesting sort of technique to get the the team morale going this is, is uh, have there been other kind of uh, quite unique and special examples of what you've done with sides, especially when you've been away from home? No, but it's true what Beckham writes in his book there. I haven't read it, but anyhow, <laughs> we took them to a, I don't remember, Burger King or yeah. something like that. It's not like as good that. as your uh, books, Sven, by the way. He's, <laughs> well, he's well, certainly well. not as candid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, because it's boring. Of course, it's boring to be in a camp so long time. Even if it's for a huge thing and uh, it's like a dream to be involved in a World Cup tournament. But we did that. And uh, other times we went to uh, restaurants outside the camp with the whole team eating some different and things like that. But also, I must say that I came from Italy. And in Italy, pre-season like this, you went up in the mountains with the players. You were away two, three weeks. Uh, and Italian players, they could sit down uh, drinking their coffee and talk uh, the, the half of the day, if mm-hmm. it's necessary. Yeah. English players, like Swedish players, Nordic players, something must happen all the time. Yeah. So if you have some free time, which you have, of course, the, the English players, they didn't want to rest or sit drinking coffee talking. They want to do something. They wanted to play golf sometimes if there were time. They wanted to go out shopping. And when Beckham came to me saying, boss, tomorrow we have a free afternoon. Can we go out shopping? I said, David, what do you mean shopping? Shopping is for ladies. (laughs) 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 But uh, the whole team went and I said, of course you can go shopping. They went to a mall with security and all the players going and they were happy so mm. why not mm-hmm. um can i can i take you if you don't mind can i take you to the um the quarter final of the world cup in 2002 i know you get asked about this a lot so i apologize in advance but i am curious as to how you approached half time in that game because england went a goal ahead of course 
Uh, Brazil scored just before half-time, which presumably completely changes the half-time team talk that you were planning on making. Can you tell us a little bit about your approach to that, just because I'm personally very interested in it? Well, I don't remember exactly the words I said, mm. but I heard some critics about it that I should have been shouting or things like that. But I'm sure that I treated that half uh, as I did in other circumstances like that. And of course, it was uh, difficult because the result was in our favor and then uh, <clears throat> it became a little bit different, mm. uh, unfortunately. So it uh, all was about up with the heads, go out and go on playing the football because we were not bad. Mm. But um, uh, no, the normal approach, I would say, uh, absolutely. Then... A lot of critics during that game that we didn't attack more and, and things like that. But when you meet a team technically as good as that Brazil, first of all, you have to win the ball. You cannot attack without the ball. Mm. And to win the ball, even when they got to uh, 10 uh, versus 11 players, we struggled. We struggled to win it. And when we won it, we lost it too easily. And they got it, and we had to run, 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 run. And that was our big mistake. And uh, I think Brazil were better than us. And they were the best team in that tournament. And they fairly won the World Cup. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ramble. This week on Stakhanov. Over on the Luke and Pete show, we've been discussing our usual nonsense from Disney princesses to fizzy lagers and a whole load more. Here's a taster of what's been on the show. For some reason, our little recording system has got this piece of music installed in it. I think it's uh, incidental music in a sex ed uh, BBC Two um, 10 a.m. kind of job. No way! It is! It's too groovy! It's too groovy! Yeah, it's just like, uh, now on BBC Two, <laughs> sex and your child. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, over on Wrestle Me, we've been doing the 12 days of Wrestle Memus, which you can find on our Patreon or your favourite podcast player. That's why also America is like leading the world in serial killers, you know, because they have room. They have room, room they have to dismantle, <laughs> to, to dismember, dismantle, dismember, just yes. to make marionettes. Mm-hmm. Um, over here, very difficult to be a serial killer. I would knock into things. I'd you get would. blood everywhere. But there's always some nosy beak, isn't there? <laughs> Someone sticking their nose in where yeah. it doesn't belong. All that and more at Stakhanov. So in this country, as, as you know, people often want to know what a, a like a Sir Alex Ferguson team talk was like before the game and at half time. And often at half time, it would be very, very different. Um, before the game, you know, he'd always try and instill confidence in his players. Uh, Roy Hodgson, people often thought that he was perhaps a little bit soft uh, and that he wouldn't get angry. Well, anybody who's played under Roy Hodgson will know that is not the truth. What, what does a, a Sven-Jorn Eriksson, say, half-time team talk or, or, or pre-match team talk look like? Are you trying to calm the players down? Are you trying to uh, instil confidence? Do you ever get a bit shouty uh, if the um, situation calls for it, perhaps? How does it, how does it look? Well, I think everything depends on what we were doing, the result and the performance first half, what you say and how you act in half-time. But if you ask if I'm shouting, no. Not really, never. Because uh, that's my way of doing things. I always been like that, and I try to treat. I always try to treat football players as I treat my children in one way. And when my children, when they were small, they did wrong things. Sometimes, of course, children doing. But I, I don't think they would be better human beings if you shout at them. You have to take them make them sit down and explain to them why they cannot do things and why they have to change uh, things and behavior and whatever it is. And I always did that with football players. I could explain in group, I could explain one against one, because uh, that's my philosophy, how you try to treat people. And I know that you can be very different as as a coach and Ferguson yes shouting he was scaring sometimes he shouted uh, at you once Fern, on the phone of course he shouted at me on the phone yes but I was not afraid of it but that was his way to to, yeah. to be and I mean uh, you cannot argue argue with uh, Sir Alex no what he did uh, that's why you 20, hung up on him was that why? <laughs> yeah <laughs> What he did for 25 years or more with Manchester United, that's mm-hmm. no one can ever do that again. Yeah, Sven, I'm really interested in the variety in your career. You've managed in some incredibly exotic places, Mexico, Philippines, Ivory Coast, Leicester. Um, <laughs> and as someone in a position where I, I, I will assume your services are sort of in demand around the world, it, is, was it a conscious decision to sort of live in as many different places as possible and, and see some of the world? That's beautiful. Uh, I love that and you always learn uh, a little bit about football of course wherever you come new environment but you learn a lot about life and uh, I learned very quickly that you cannot go to England or you cannot go to China or to Portugal wherever it is and try to make them Swedish 
Mm. You have to you have to take the the manners where you go, and uh, that's good. That's good, and I think you will become richer as a human being, uh, not in money, but uh, in experience. The more countries you live in, and the more people you meet. Uh, absolutely, I completely agree. Mm. Sven, just to change change tack a little bit and ask you something a little bit different. Throughout your career, of all the players you've managed over the years, if you could choose one player to sub in at a really important time, so any substitute you want, which player would you choose, do you think? I would choose Roberto Falcao. I had him 1984-85 in Roma. Mm. Brazilian midfielder. Uh, he was a captain of Roma at that time. He was uh, probably captain of the Brazilian national team as well. I never had a player who was so important for his team as he was. Uh, he had been in Roma for four or five years before I came there, and he was a lot injured when I had him. And I only had him for one year. But every game he was on the pitch, we won and we played brilliant football. When he was not on the pitch, it was a disaster. Oh. And the <laughs> wow. team said, the, uh, completely disaster. Yeah. Uh, and the players, they told me, we cannot play without Roberto because he's been here for four or five years and he tells us what to do and he's doing everything on the pitch. So <laughs> if anyone could change something uh, from the bench into the pitch, that would be him. So Paolo Roberto Falcao is your super sub. He was a great, great player, yes. Yeah. Nicknamed the eighth king of Rome, apparently. Wow. <laughs> yes, exactly. Amazing. He and was him. he was the king of Rome, yeah, for uh-huh. sure. Were you the were you the ninth king of Rome <laughs> when you won the title with the Lazio, Sven? Well, I had a lot of players there who thought they were kings, but they were only <laughs> la- uh, they were only old and lazy. Bruno Conti, Roberto Pruzzo, Graziani. <laughs> when I had them they they had a certain age and mm-hmm. they didn't want to run very much. <laughs> oh, really? But they, they thought they were kings. Yeah. And, and, and one more on that kind of subject. Can you think of a substitution you've actually made, uh, a super substitution, if you like, that you've actually made during your career which had a really big impact and really changed the game for you? Well, I don't remember the names now, but I remember we played, uh, this is with Benfica, and we were losing 1-0 against Porto away, a final in uh, Porto, Portuguese Cup. And the last five minutes, I, I thought, I need some speed in this. Uh, and I had a player, technically not very good, but very speedy. He came on when it was three, four minutes, and uh, he changed everything. He scored two goals in two minutes away against Porto. And uh, wow. that's, that's a little bit like Manchester... Uh, United Liverpool in the past. Yeah. So, yeah, that was important. But mm. that was poor, poor luck. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <for my life. laughs> uh, Sven, you, you managed uh, two teams, of course, at World Cups, England and Ivory Coast in 2010. How different was the feeling and the vibe, if you like, in the Ivory Coast camp compared to the intensity uh, and the scrutiny of the England camp? Oh, huge difference. The pressure on England is you have to reach the semi-final, final and so on. And and you could read the pressure sometimes when the match day came close, some of the players. 
Ivory Coast, no pressure at all, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they were not used to play World Cups, and they had extremely good team. I mean, every meal, every time we moving with the bus uh, to training to games, singing, singing nonstop, all the time, <laughs> happy. So eating lunch, a long, long table, and the one to the right, further to the right, he was speaking to the one to the left. And there were 20 meters uh, behind them, <laughs> and, and 20 football players again uh, in between. Yeah. So all the time singing, uh, not during training, of course, they, they were professional, but totally different, totally mm-hmm. different. Happy all the time. I mean, it must have been. Was, that must have been quite a joy to be around. But was it a bit of a? I mean, look, you know, you're Swedish, we're English. Uh, you know, a bit more conservative uh, cultures that that we come from. Was it a bit of a, a? I suppose what I would maybe describe as a joyous culture shock for you to be around that. Well, in one way, it was. I remember we had the pre World Cup in Switzerland in a hotel where up in the mountains a little bit we played games and so on. But in that hotel, it was a strict hotel, very beautiful, and a lot of older people uh, walking in the mountains during the summer there, and they were very strict, very well dressed when they came down for dinner. And I remember the first meal we had there. Our players singing, screaming. <laughs> the, the noise was incredible. So I thought after the, after the meal, I had to go to the to, to the manager of the hotel and, and saying sorry. But so I did. I said sorry. But they are African. They are like that. They don't mean anything. They are good people and things like that. And he said, Sven Eriksson. He said. Those old people being here, they never ever in their life had so fun dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's great to hear. That, they that, loved it. <laughs> that sounds really great. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a reserved person myself, Sven, and it sounds really fun. But did they did they try to make you join in and sing at any point? Because personally, I think I'd enjoy watching it, but <laughs> not so much enjoy joining no, in. No, but uh, they were dancing for me. And I remember we, we were knocked out. We were in the same group as Portugal, Brazil and North Korea. Yeah. We were knocked out, but uh, after the game in the bus and the hotel, they were dancing around me and thanking me, and they Amazing. made a song about me in English. <laughs> oh, can you can you give uh, us a incredible? Line <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> so you but uh, incredible, absolutely incredible. You, you didn't think you didn't sing a little bit of ABBA, maybe for them? <laughs> no, the winner takes it all. No, <laughs> it's not the time. <laughs> Toured on the accordion, perhaps <laughs> yeah. backing them up. I, I'm sure Todd had the accordion with him, even there. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't travel without it. Does not travel no, no, without no, no. it. They always travel with yeah. it. Um, so what's, what's kind of next for you then? So what, what are your plans at the moment? What do you think you want to do next? Do you, do you still have a hunger to be a coach? Do you, do you still feel that's in your blood, or are you just happy having a good old relax? What will happen in my future, yeah. you know as much about that as I know. You can come and work <laughs> with us, Sven. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I am uh, fine. Mm-hmm. I have the health, which is the most important thing, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm very happy where I live. Mm-hmm. If something comes, I would like to coach again. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If nothing comes, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Sven, you once um, when you were <laughs> coaching Manchester City, you were on a pre-season tour. And you, you spoke to Dietmar Harman, 
uh, De Kaiser, as he was as he was nicknamed. And he said that you you would love to retire to Thailand with with two beautiful ladies. Is that still is that still the end game? <laughs> is that still the big finish? No, 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 it's not. I, I, did he really say so? Yeah, <laughs> probably did. <laughs> no, no, that that's that's not uh, the dream. No, no, no. Okay. Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit older today as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is true. Listen, Sven, you've been an absolute gent. It's been so nice to talk yeah. to you. Thank yeah, you so much for spending so much time with us. Our listeners will absolutely yeah. love it. It's, it's been great to hear from you. Pleasure is mine. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.